the, the big map really that God left of how um, it all came together from the beginning of time until today. And in the covenant we live in today, how all of, all of what we read throughout Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament and the New um, was all part of the sequence of events, all part of this route um, to get us to salvation that we have, the life that we have in Christ today. And so um, tonight I'll read our lesson, folks, and then we'll pray. And this is titled Unit 5, Lesson 41, Esau Sells His Birthright. Lesson focus tonight is God answered Isaac's prayer for Rebekah to have children and gave them twin boys, Esau and Jacob. God told Rebekah that the older brother would serve the younger. Esau was born first, but he despised his birthright and sold it to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And so let's pray tonight as we begin this. And Sean, if you'd bring my mic down a little bit, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this evening that we can come and study your word together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we know um, that that this word is, is for us and it's for today. It is your word written to us. It is totally true, totally um, for today, and it is effective, Lord. We know that, that the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. It is effective um, for discerning. It is effective for for establishing and building, Lord. It is effective, an effective foundation that we can build our life upon. And so we thank you for that tonight, that even as we go back to Genesis, we recognize how it is part of that foundation, how it is um, equally true and secure and equally valuable and effective for us today. And so as we study out this lesson about Esau, I thank you, Lord, that you are revealing things by the Holy Spirit to us, teaching us and revealing to us truth that is for us and is for today. And I thank you, God, that as we, as we just spend time studying these things out, um, we are stirred in our spirit, we are equipped, and, and we are just made ready to go and share the truth with those around us. And so I thank you for that tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And hey, as we get started tonight, uh, we did get a prayer request. Um, Jody Lang, she said she was having just some pain in her back, and so she's at home um, joining us online tonight. So welcome, Jody, and everybody else that's online. Would you guys agree with us um, just for her that her body would line up with what the Word says that she's healed in Jesus' name? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us life, that Jesus came to bring abundant life to us. I thank you, too, that you said that um, our mortal bodies would be quickened and, and made alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that rose Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead, Lord, is the same Spirit that is in us. That same power, that same life that brought Jesus alive from the dead, Lord, that is the same power that is in us working in our body. And so I thank you that Jody is healed in Jesus' name by the power of your your Holy Spirit who brings life, Lord. She is alive. She is strengthened. Her back would be strong. The pain must go. Anything out of place must be made right in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that her body must come into line with what the Word says and not the other way around. And so we confess that tonight. We thank you for it tonight. We know you're a healer. We know you are the healer. And we know that you have the power of life. And so we thank you that that is something that belongs to Jody because she has claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I thank you that because she's received the life that he came to give, she has life in her body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm ready to get started tonight if you're ready. And we're going to be hanging out in Genesis chapter um, 25 tonight. Here in just a little bit, we're going to get into, uh, into some of the word. And I told you we'd start out by kind of uh, transitioning from our last unit, Unit 4, where we talked a lot um, about Abraham and his life and, and some of the events that occurred. We saw um, the promised child Isaac, his son, um, come to, to miraculously be born um, in his and Sarah's old age. And so now we're going to transition to kind of the next stage, to the next uh, generation, and to the next series of events in establishing um, this, this great nation that God had promised um, to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And in this time, we're transitioning from a focus on Abraham and Isaac now. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about Isaac, and he'll be in next week's lesson too. But really now, the focus shifts to Jacob. And tonight, Esau, his brother, his twin brother, we'll see and read that story this evening. But we're going to focus our, uh, our focus in this unit is going to be on Jacob and then um, Joseph and, of course, his other 11 sons. And so um, the question 
I just wanted to start with tonight so that we can bring this all together and, and see how you know one one avenue uh, feeds right into the next, how the lineage is unbroken, how the story is unbroken. We spent a lot of time with Abraham and Isaac. So what happened to Abraham um, after after our past events? You know, we kind of saw him um, live in faith and offer Isaac in faith, and we saw God faithful to come through on his promise and um, deliver. Uh, another sacrifice so that Isaac didn't have to be given. And um, so we see that play out. And now um, the question is like, what happens to Abraham from here? We saw in our last lesson, Isaac's bride um, come and, and um, we know this, Sarah has, has passed in, in uh, scripture at this point. And so after Sarah's death and Isaac's marriage, this is where we're starting tonight. After Sarah's death and Isaac's marriage, the next thing that happens is Abraham, he takes another wife named Keturah, and they had six sons. And so I just wanted to put up like a family tree for you all to see. And I don't know how clearly you can see. I know they're sort of, the words are small, the, the names are small up there, but I'll kind of talk you through how this all ends up just so you can get a, a comprehensive, cohesive picture of what these families ended up look like. So we have Abraham and um, the, the three women that he was involved with through his life, Hagar on the one end. And so if you're looking at the far left, we see Hagar. And then between Abraham and Hagar, they had Ishmael. And um, if we look in the word in uh, verse 13 through 16 of chapter 25, of Genesis, you'll find um, the sons of Ishmael. And so um, God had told him he would go and he would have these sons, and he, he did exactly that. And so um, they're listed there. Those would have been descendants of Abraham, but they weren't the descendants that God was talking about when he was discussing his promise. That, of course, we know was Isaac, um, who was the child Abraham had with Sarah. And so Isaac, he marries Rebecca. We talked about that in our previous lesson. And we're going to see tonight their two sons, Esau and Jacob. And then Keturah, this, this other woman that Abraham married after the death of Sarah and after Isaac had, had been married to Rebecca. It's the very next thing we see in chapter 25, picking up in verse 1. It says, Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And then it talks about how Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letushim, and Lamium. And the sons, and then it goes on and talks more about the sons. And so um, we see this picture painted of all of these children that, in one way or another, were related to Abraham. And one of the reasons I bring this up is, is it really indicates just how the world was still being established at this point in time. If you noticed any of those names, I know we, we read a lot of names, and if you look in the Word, you're going to see some names that you've probably never heard of before. Um, but you might have recognized a couple of them. One that stood out to me was Midian. Um, we find later in Scripture, it talks about the Midianites. In fact, the Midianites were those who traveled and, and purchased Joseph when his brothers would sell them. And I, I think we're going to talk about that later on in this lesson. But the Midianites, who are a distant relative because Abraham... Um, you know, they, they were descendants of um, him and Keturah, and so they were related in a roundabout way um, through this other marriage. And then the other one you may have noticed um, would be Sheba. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Queen of Sheba, but in 1 Kings 10, it talks about how she came from a distant land, the land of Sheba, um, to come and test Solomon's wisdom. That happens in 1 Kings 10. And um, so th we see these people groups in uh, reference later on in the word. And it's just it just shows how really this is history. And these are people groups that have been, um, you know, found through archaeology, through history. And it just it, it affirms what we already know to be true, that this is the history of mankind. This is the history of descendants and that there is no break in the word. It is it is totally intact from the very beginning until now. And so I think that's a marvelous thing. And, and what we see is this now transition. Abraham and, and Sarah is now deceased, and Abraham is getting to the later years of his life. And so just to finish out talking about Abraham, in Genesis 25, um, chapter, or, I'm sorry, verse 7 through 11, let's read what it says uh, about Abraham's life wrapping up. It says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Mikvah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. 
the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Bar Lahai Roy. And so we see that um, the, the final thing we get about Abraham until we, we get much later on and we hear about his faith in the New Testament. Um, this is how his life ended. And I just wanted to note that it, it talks about how these are the days of, of Abraham, 175 years. And then in verse 8 it says, He breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man full of years. And was gathered to his people. And I referenced it on our scripture sheet, but this is fulfillment of a promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis 15, 15. Um, God said to him, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And so I just love seeing that even in this detail, which, which really is, you know, the, the plan of generational secession was already in place. Isaac had a bride, Rebecca was there, and, and they were ready to continue on. Well, that wasn't the end of God fulfilling his promises to Abraham. He was faithful to the end. Amen? Even in this aspect of him living to a good old age, um, exactly what God said is what came to pass. And so we can trust and know that he is faithful to his word all the way till the end. Amen? Now let's go on in Genesis 25. We're going to pick up in verse 19 and talk about um, Rebecca and Isaac having children. And so if we pick up in verse 19 of Genesis 25, it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So let's talk through this element of their birth of these two twins and um, even before that about how Rebecca um, was barren when, when it came time to uh, bear the next generation of, of descendants in this lineage of establishing a great nation. Um, first thing that stands out to me as we read through this is that once again, you know, this is like a repeat of a story we've heard before, isn't it? I mean, we talked about Abraham and Isaac and how they waited, you know, all these years, like 25 years on, on Isaac as this promised son who uh, Abraham would have with his wife, Sarah. And just like that, Isaac and Rebecca are here and they had been waiting a long time for children and were not seeing fulfillment of the promise. You know, it tells us here in, in the word that Isaac was 40 years old. I'm trying to find where that scripture was at. It's, it's in here. Yeah. Verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. So he's 40. And then we get further down when they're born. And it says that he was 60 years old um, when, when the twins were born. It's there in verse 26. And so after his brother came out holding his hand, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah bore them. And so that's a 20-year period. You know, I just I point this out because I know for me sometimes if I if I'm not intentional, I can read through the Bible and I can just glaze over minor details like this and think nothing of it. They waited 20 years for a child that they were they knew they were supposed to have children that they knew they were supposed to have. And they knew there were going to be children because they knew about this promise of this of generational descendants in this great nation that God um, was going to bring through their lineage. I mean, Isaac. He knew that he was this promised child with, with Abraham, and so he knew that this promise continued on with him. We're going to talk tonight a little bit about birthright and how that played an effect in this. There was a knowing of what was established in the family and what was to come down the line in the family and the promise of God that was upon the family. And so Isaac knew, he, he knew based on God's word to his father time and time and time again in the covenant that God had with his father, he knew that there were going to be descendants from him and Rebekah. And yet here they are, 
you know, 19 years in and they're not seeing it happen. I love what we see with Isaac because he responds differently than his father. Isn't that great? He learned a lesson from his father's mistake because he knew the pain that came from stepping out and trying to do it himself. He saw um, the the divisiveness in his family over Ishmael and how um, Sarah had had problems with Hagar and this whole division that was present because of uh, the mistake um, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar made to step outside of, of God's ability to get this done. Isaac, does, he doesn't respond the same way. And I love that we get that indication in Scripture. Um, it, it says, you know, Isaac was 40 years old when he took her. And then in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. I love that response. That's the proper response. You know that? When, when we're waiting on the promise of God, the right thing to do isn't to just make up our own plan. It's, it's to pray to God. And I love that he interceded even for his wife. I mean, I'm sure she, she could have prayed, but I love that Isaac stepped up as really as the man who was leading his family, and he prayed. He said, God, I know this is your will for my family, and so this is what I'm, this is what I'm believing on. This is what I'm asking for. And it says, the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. It had to happen that way. It absolutely had to happen. It's, it's like we know today. You know, we just prayed at the beginning of this service for healing. We know that that has to be the way that it happens because it's God's word. Yeah. And he's not a liar. Amen? Amen? And so Isaac, he knew, I can believe for this. I can pray to God for my wife. I know she's barren and I know that's not in line with what the word of God says. And so I'm going to pray about it. That's a good response, isn't it? And, you know, we're already... We're just, just getting to know Isaac here, and we're, we're already seeing a good side about the way he's responding. And so I love that his response was to pray for his wife. He knew that the promise had passed to him, this promise of many generations. And so he knew that a child would be necessary to have these many generations come. And I, I believe, you know, he just, too, he observed. He, he saw, like I said, he saw what happened with Ishmael. And I love that he responded correctly by trusting in God's ability and, uh, and, and in God's willingness. You know, that's the faithfulness that we talked so much about in our last unit. He knew God was faithful to keep his word. And so after, after he prays and Rebecca conceives, you know, she feels something within her. You know, she feels this struggle, struggle within her. And so she asks the Lord what's going on. And really what the Lord gives her is, is a word of prophecy is one thing we could call it. I mean, he is speaking to her about what is to come. He's telling her um, what is going to happen in the future. He is speaking, um, well, you know, it's, it's God's word. And so, yeah, that's prophecy. It, and it's coming from God. It's not coming through a prophet or someone else. She's just speaking to God. But he is speaking to her about his plan. He's speaking out things that have not been seen or known yet. And so um, he is giving her his word about what's going to come to pass. And we see he says to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples are within you, shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And so this is one of the key things we're going to get into tonight, this element of the older shall serve the younger. And that was a big deal because it went against all of the traditions, it went against the status quo, it went against what they believed and know, knew to be right. And so God is speaking out to Rebecca the way that things would be. And um, you, you know, when God says it, that's the way that it's going to be. Amen. Because his word is true and he's not a liar. Just like that's true for the promises that we know and we believe and the things that um, are in line with what we like and what we think. It's true for the things that go against what we would like or think. Amen. So it, I don't have to think that it's necessarily the right thing for it to be the true thing in God's word. Right. And what we're going to see about that, that's a good thing for us. You're going to see that tonight as we go forward. It's a good thing that God gets the final word and we don't. Whether it lines up with our traditions or our expectations, it's a good thing that God gets the final say. And so he reveals to her, you're going to have twins. There's two nations in your womb. And so that's an indication, too, that there's going to be these two people groups that, that rise up from you. They go out. There's going to be division. Um, they're not, they're not going to get along. And, and, you know, I don't think God was saying this, like, to put a sentence on them. I think he was saying it because he knew it was going to happen. Because he is all-knowing, isn't he? And so it wasn't that he was, he was bringing a word of you know, condemnation or speaking something negative out. He was just telling her, this is what's going to happen. I can tell you right now, this is, this is what's going to happen. And so one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, I said this a minute ago. God's plan is not dependent on what man expects or deems acceptable. The reason this is such good news for us is because um, there are times where man has not thought that anybody other than Israel should be saved. 
And why that's good news for us is unless you're a descendant of Israel, um, if it was based on traditions and man's expectations, you and I wouldn't be here tonight. We wouldn't be in the word tonight. And so it's a glorious thing that God gets the plan. God gets the say that God is the one um, who deems what is right and what is acceptable. You know, when it comes to this uh, with, with Esau and Jacob, it wasn't a matter of performance. We know that because they were babies, right? I mean, they couldn't have performed in any kind of way to have like earned or, you know, it wasn't because Jacob earned this, uh, this birthright or this blessing. It wasn't that he had earned um, authority or position over Esau. And it, it definitely wasn't a tradition thing. I mean, we know that. And we know that even before this, God, God kind of showed that he doesn't have to work in line with what tradition says because, um, you know, Abraham had a son named Ishmael and God told him that's not the one. You know, you're going to have a son miraculously and, and he's going to be the one that gets the birthright. And so the younger sibling, we see it first with Abraham and Isaac having authority over his older sibling Ishmael. Um, but we see it here too. And God makes it very clear that the tradition, the expectation isn't what I'm bound to. It doesn't have to be the way that man says that it should be. You know, um, in this culture, a, a younger sibling having authority over older it was contrary to what would have been traditional or what would have been expected. Um, and we mentioned it wasn't the first time God did this. But the reason it, it is, is for us today and why it's so beneficial, if we go to Romans 11, verse 19 through 21, we're going to see kind of this same idea of it's not the tradition it's maybe not what's been expected it's not what people were thinking was going to happen and yet it's what god does um, it's good news for us because in the new testament it's clear that tradition isn't what makes you righteous it isn't what makes you called it isn't uh, what what brings you into right standing with god romans eleven nineteen through 21 it says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And he's talking about the tree of life. He's talking about, um, really he's referencing here Israel and how there were people in Israel that were no longer in right standing with God. They weren't in right standing with God. And, and we're going to see why that is here in verse 20. He says, well said, their branches broken off that I might be grafted in. That means Gentiles are coming in and taking this place of right standing with God that Israel, um, some in Israel had had before. He says, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. You stand by faith. Do not be haughty. Don't be prideful, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. And I just want to tell you that this this verse 21 where it says if god did not spare the natural branches he may not spare you either what he's referencing is unbelief it means belief faith in christ is the thing that gets you in the tree of life it's the thing that gets you in right standing with god this is what brings life into us is is faith in god belief in christ and so he says the problem with israel uh, those who have been cut off these branches that are no longer part of this tree this life that, that I have promised this, you know, great nation, this great, you know, generation more than the, the stars in heaven and the sand on the shores. He says the reason they're no longer a part of that is because of unbelief. And he says, you know, don't think yourself prideful. Don't think it's just because you're so great. It's because it's of belief that you're here. Amen. Amen. And so what we see in this is the expectation, the tradition with the people he's writing to was, well, we're in the tree because we've got the history. We're in the tree because we've got the family name. We're in the tree because my, my great, 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 great granddad was Abraham. And so I'm, I'm in life. And I love that even here in Genesis, God is showing us that I'm not bound to tradition. I'm not bound to man's expectation. I can, I can make my plan based on what I want, based on what's going to be pleasing to me. And you know, it was pleasing to him to offer the son to the whole world so that all might be saved and come to know him. Amen. And so it's good news that God's not bound to man's tradition or expectation. Isn't that a good thing? And then if we go on to Romans 10, verse 12 through 13, we see this emphasized further. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just want to emphasize to you tonight that, that God is so good that He's not stuck in the ways that man thinks He ought to work. Because if He did that, none of us would be saved. If he worked the way that Israel wanted him to work, we'd all be on the outs. We would all be, you know, serving the nation of Israel 
and, and we would all be without life in Christ. But we know that we have it because he is God and he works in, in just a, such a sovereign and such a right way that makes life available to all. Like it says here in Romans 10, verse 12 and 13, no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And so I'm grateful that he's rich to all. I'm grateful that he didn't restrict it like some people um, thought he ought to have. We see that life is totally dependent on faith in Christ. It's totally dependent on belief. Whether you are of, of Jewish descent or your Gentile descent, it's all based on belief in Christ. And so that might buck the tradition, that might have bucked expectation at one time, but it's a glorious thing, and I'm grateful to God that He works in the way He knows is right. Amen. Now let's talk about these two brothers, these two twins that we see mentioned and some of the characteristics. And in your outline, I think I left all of these uh, attributes in so you can see the distinction made. Very clearly, they're two, <laughs> two very different people. Two very different twins. And that's just proof to you that twins are not the same people. Amen? We see it right here in Genesis. These two, you could even say like they could not have really been more different. We see two total opposites. So the firstborn, Esau, you know, I mentioned in, in your notes in the outline here that as the firstborn, um, he was entitled to the birthright and, and everything that that entailed. And I suppose now is, is a good time, I'm, and I'm sorry to jump around in the outline, but if you'll go to the last part in apologetics, Birthright is something I just want to touch on briefly while we're here because I think it's an important concept to understand as we discuss why it mattered that Esau sells his birthright, which is what we're studying tonight. Um, birthright, you know, it, it was... It was something that brought with it these certain privileges. Um, one, of, one of the main ones that we see throughout the Old Testament when birthright was um, something that, that was an indication of what you would gain, um, birthright came with a double portion of inheritance, which could include land, livestock, or servants. And so in Isaac's case, what we saw with birthright is he gained the whole thing. He got the whole birthright. And it says that if, if, you, um, if you read about Abraham's other sons in verse verse 5 and 6 of chapter 25 it says Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac all that he had he gave the entire inheritance to Isaac the child who had um, the birthright not because he was the first one born of Abraham but because he was the one who God said this is the this is the one um, that I'm going to I'm going to work through this is the one that I'm going to bring my plan through this is the one that has the birthright the one who has the inheritance and so it says, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. And so we see that he gave gifts to these other children that he had. We saw that with Ishmael, too. I mean, God said that he would be blessed. Abraham didn't send him away with absolutely nothing. But the birthright, the inheritance, the land, the livestock, the servants, like the, the good part of it, that all went to Isaac, who had the birthright. And so we see that with Isaac. Um, I was just thinking about later on, one of the ways birthrights work is um, I was thinking about when the 12 tribes of Israel got back to the land of Israel, they had to divide it up. You know that when they came into the land and they conquered the Canaanites, they had to divide up all the land. Well, the tribes that got the birthright got a bigger chunk of the land. They got a, a double portion, if we called it that way. They got a bigger piece of the inheritance because they were the ones who had the birthright. And so um, there is this, this element of a greater portion of inheritance, a greater portion of gain coming to them um, as part of, of having the birthright. The other thing that's significant about the birthright is it, it brings with it um, the leadership and responsibility of the family. Um, we, could, we could call it like the mantle of the family. If you've ever thought about uh, passing on the mantle, you know, the person that leads the family, the person that bears you know, responsibility for the family, the person that, that others in the family would go to um, with problems or issues, that would go to the firstborn when the father died. And it was a different way of living. I mean, today we don't see it to that extent as much. But in this culture, I mean, if, if your 12-year-old son had the birthright and f father died, I mean, the son was leading the family. I mean, we, and we could talk about like kingship, you know, that's one aspect where we saw it in a big way is when kings pass their firstborn son or the, the one who had the birthright, they were the king now, you know, and it didn't matter that they were 12 years old. They're the king. 
Because they had the birthright. And so whether it looks right or not, that's the person who's got the leadership. That's the person who's got the responsibility for the family. And in the case of Abraham's family, it was also the person that was going to be carrying on the promise of this great nation and this blessing and I'm going to I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you and I'm going to I'm going to bless the whole world through you this amazing promise that God this covenant that God had made was now bestowed upon the person that had the birthright and so in Abraham's family's case the birthright was a really big deal it wasn't just a matter of oh I'm going to get some extra sheep and goats and some extra cattle when when dad passes it was I have I am I'm carrying the promise that God's made to the world. You know, that's a big deal. And so it is, it is so critical here. And it's such a big thing that this birthright um, was, was at play. And, and I just, I emphasize that with you because we see Esau had, you know, claim in tradition and with expectation. He was the one who had claim to the birthright. And what we're going to see is he gave it up. And, and I just, I want that to, um, you know, to, to really be impacting to you. The fact that I mean, we're talking about the future of humanity. We're talking about salvation for the world, really. And yet Esau, we're going to see, he, he treats it so cheaply. We're going to see in the word it says he despised his birthright. And so um, that birthright, it wasn't just some extra stuff. It, it was a much bigger deal than that. It was, it was much more responsibility than just some extra stuff. And so Esau, he had, you know, entitlement or an expectation traditionally to the birthright and all that that birthright would have entailed. Um, he's described as red in color and covered in hair. I think your sheet probably says here because I had a typo, but it's supposed to say he was red in color and covered in hair so much that it looked as if he was wearing a cloak. That is a lot of hair. <laughs> That's a lot of hair. I mean, if it looks like he's wearing a cloak, my goodness, that's a lot of hair. Esau, um, that word, it, from what I studied, it means hairy. And so he was given a name. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you need to use that on someone, hey, you Esau, you're a hairy person. Um, just don't use that on anybody, okay? But <laughs> Esau meant hairy. And, and I bring that out just to say this. Um, the names given to them were accurate. Because what we're going to see with Jacob's name is it had a meaning that fit him descriptively too. And so Esau, his name fit him. He was a hairy guy. Um, and he's described as being a skilled hunter who roamed the fields and the outdoors. And so, you know, he was a, he was an outdoor kind of guy, a hunter kind of guy. And when we read that Isaac favored Esau because of the game that he would bring him, he liked the meat that Esau brought him to eat. And so Isaac favored Esau, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I've got a lot about it later on, but I'll just say this now. That was wrong of Isaac, too. And this doesn't always get talked about when I hear people preach about Esau. But it was wrong of Isaac to, and we're going to talk about favoritism here in a minute when we talk about Jacob, because Rebecca was wrong for favoring so highly Jacob above Esau, too. I mean, favoritism is never a good thing. I'm getting ahead of myself. The point I want to make right here is Isaac knew the word of God about Jacob, and yet he esteemed Isaac. Esau as higher than Jacob throughout his life. He, he favored Esau above Jacob throughout his life. I think he probably made concession. He overlooked some things. In fact, we know that because Esau had wives that he wasn't supposed to have. They brought shame upon the family and Isaac didn't do a thing about it. He, he made this special way for Esau because he liked the meat that he brought him. I mean, there, it, it's a failure of parenting in a way and, and it's a failure of considering the word of God. I mean, for the guy who knew enough to pray for his wife that she would have these children because he knew about the promise. I mean, you'd think he would take the word of God a little more seriously when God says that the older is going to serve the younger. I mean, he knew that Jacob was the one who God had named as the inheritor. And yet here he's favoring Esau instead. And so that wasn't right of Isaac. I just wanted to point that out. When we know the word of God, we need to follow the word of God. And so I just wanted to bring that out. Um, Jacob, second born son, who's described as quiet and one who stayed near the tents at home. I mean, just total opposite in this way, in external things, in, in you know, habits, in um, interests, in hobbies, in, in what he um, did for you know, work around the camp. I mean, very different than his brother Esau. Um, you know, we also see the word says that at birth, Jacob grabbed the heel of Esau. And uh, the name Jacob, it means uh, supplanter or deceiver. 
And so one of the one of the illustrations that people will use to talk about that that name Jacob, they say this is like the person who trips you when you're walking. You know, they just like get out in front of you and stick their leg out so you trip. It's just like this. It's this kind of um, manipulative way to get what you want. It's it's this going around. It's this kind of really striving out of my own effort to try to make things the way that I want them. It's it's deceptive. I mean, you get an, an idea, you get a picture of what that name Jacob means. And just like how Esau's name fit him because he was a hairy guy. Jacob's name fit him because what we're going to see is is he was a manipulative, supplanting, kind of deceiving, knock you down to get what I think I ought to have kind of guy. And, you know, we don't always talk about all the faults of our Bible characters, but Jacob had some problems. He didn't trust God with the promise either because he thought he had to strive and work to get everything that God had promised him. And that's not right either, is it? I mean, if, if, if I think I have to put in the effort to get what God's promised me, then my faith isn't in God. It's in my ability to strive and make it happen for myself. I think really what I see, and, and I, look, I know if God said the older will serve the younger, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, isn't that a theme we've seen through Genesis? God's word comes to pass. Amen. I mean, he hasn't failed. He hasn't let it down. So why is Jacob trying to figure out how to make this thing happen for himself? Why does he feel like he has to fool and deceive and manipulate and take advantage of people to get what he wants if he trusts and knows that God is going to do what he said he's going to do? I I just want to be clear about this. What Jacob does isn't right. Even though it ends and, and it is the result God said would happen, it's not the right way to get there. I mean, we just talked about that a little bit Sunday, how, you know, there's a right way to endure. There is a good tempered way to get through things. Jacob was getting through them, and he might have even got to the right place, but he didn't get there the right way. And it's the same thing we saw with Abraham. You know, he ends up with Isaac. He ends up with the right son, the miracle son, to be the inheritor, but he didn't get there the right way, and it caused a whole bunch of other problems. And I'm starting to preach about Jacob. We're going to do that next week. But, you know, what he did didn't come without problems. And if he would have done it God's way, the life kind of way, the right kind of way, he would have avoided some of the issues that he brought upon himself. And so I just want to be clear about this. Um, Jacob doing things the way he did, it wasn't right, even if it ended with a, a right result in the case that it, it, it happened as God said it would. It still wasn't right the way that he supplanted or deceived or manipulated the situation. And so the other thing we see about Jacob is he's favored by Rebecca. And I just want to say this because I think it's, it's something we see here. Favoritism doesn't end well. Favoritism does not end well for anybody. It doesn't end well for the parents because they end up divided. One likes Esau, one likes Jacob. doesn't end up well for the kids because they know that their parents are pitted against each other. And, oh, I can go to mom to get my help, and I'm going to go to dad because he likes me more. doesn't help anybody. And it's not a godly quality. This is another thing we know. It's not a godly quality to esteem some more highly um, than others. And with Esau and Jacob, I mean, we see the need for parents training both of them. You know, mom thinks Jacob is the best. Dad thinks Esau is the best. Really, they both had some things they needed work on. Just like we all do, amen? And it might have been different things. You know, I think about Esau. He could have used a lesson in patience. He could have used a, a lesson in humility. Jacob, he could have used a lesson in honesty. He could have used a a lesson in, well, trusting God, you know, not striving for things himself. I think about Ephesians 4, 16, talking about the body of Christ. And it says, from the whole, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I picked this scripture out and there's more around it talking about the body, but I picked this out to emphasize the fact that every part of the body is valuable to God. Amen. Every single part is valuable to God and he's not partial. I mean, we just we just read in Romans 10 earlier about how there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, even though the Jews were his people, even though Israel was his people all throughout this time in history. There's no distinction. There's no partiality. And so I praise God. He's not a favorite. He's not a favorite playing kind of God. It's totally dependent on putting faith in Christ. Amen. And so I'm just emphasizing here, you know, every every person in the body of Christ, every person who has called on Jesus is tremendously valuable. And I'd say we're all God's favorites. Do you like that? We're all God's favorites. Because, I mean, it says right here in Ephesians 4, 16, the whole body joining together, every joint, every part. 
You know, it's the effective working by which every part does its share. That causes growth of the body. I want the body to grow. And it takes every part, this is what it says in the Word, every part does its share. That causes growth for the body, building itself up in love. And so we see just favoritism isn't a godly quality. We're, we're the body of Christ. We are one. We are united in Christ. And so um, today, as much as it was bad then, today favoritism is not a game to play. It doesn't end well for anybody. So let's go forward now and talk about, um, we've talked about the kids. We've talked about kind of them getting started and getting established. And now I want to go on to this incident that happens years later um, when, when we see Esau give up or despise his birthright. And so let's go ahead and talk about this tonight, reading in uh, Genesis 25. We're going to read verses 29 through 34. This is where Esau gives up and despises his birthright. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is this birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I want to be clear about this because, I, I mean, I've read it and I've thought before, you know, you read about how God says the older will serve the younger. And some people will say, well, that's just proof, you know, God is going to do something and you've got no control over who he chooses and what he does. And it's all and it is it is up to him. But I'll tell you this. God knew that Esau despised the birthright. God knew that Esau was going to treat cheaply the birthright, the inheritance, the promise of God. And this is this is what we see right here in the word. And I want to be clear about this. Esau made a choice to give up the birthright. God didn't make Esau give up his birthright, did he? I mean, does it say anywhere here, God came down and made Esau give up the birthright and speak the words out of his own mouth that he wasn't going to be the inheritor anymore. No, he made a choice. He made a choice because he treated cheaply this inheritance and promise that God had made. And what we see with Esau really is this, and, and I, I didn't know this when I preached Sunday, but Esau had no patience. Esau had no patience. He wasn't long-tempered, he was short-tempered. He was totally fixated on meeting his immediate needs or demands or wants. I mean, it's, it's right here. He says, what good is this birthright? I'm starving. I'm going to die. So just give me, some, give me some soup, man. Give me some stew. Give me some of that chili because I'm hungry. Fulfillment of temporary desire compromising the long-term promise in his life. And here's the other part of it. This is important, too. He does it with no recognition of the wrong and no repentance or remorse at all. I mean, he gives up his birthright, eats his soup, and walks away like nothing happened. That's crazy. This promise that is spanning generate. I mean, this is a big deal. He knows the promise just like Jacob does. He knows the promise just like Isaac does. And yet, he gives it up and walks away like nothing happened. He doesn't care. You know, it's so clear here. It wasn't just a moment of weakness. And then he realizes it and recognizes it and says, I was wrong. You know, Jacob, we got to we got to make this right. I did the wrong thing here. You know, I, 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 I need to change what we just did because that was he doesn't care. He walks away like nothing happened. He despises his birthright. You know, we see this. He, he lacks the wisdom to make long term or eternal value kinds of decisions. So much so that he makes this vow swearing to Jacob that the birthright would now belong to him. He didn't just say it. He didn't just say, okay, yeah, Jacob, you can have the birthright. He, he swears a vow to Jacob. Okay, Jacob, you got it. I will sell you my, I mean, he signed, there probably wasn't actually a contract that he signed, but that's effectively what happened. I mean, he doesn't just say, sure, yeah, you can have it. I mean, he signs this birthright over to Jacob and totally gives him this promise, totally gives him this double portion of inheritance that is um, rightly a part of the, the firstborn birthright. And so he sells it over by his own free will, by his own decision, by his own lack of judgment, by his own lack of patience. He gives up this promise, this inheritance. And so we see that it's not just something that he had no choice in. It wasn't just something that God made him do. This is something Esau chose of his own free will. Foolishly so. I mean, 
And I, and I just thought this too, you know, we see so clearly this lack of judgment, this lack of wisdom in making eternal decisions. Aren't you glad that he didn't end up with the birthright? I mean, if, if he can't even hold on to it when he's tempted with a bowl of soup, like, I mean, how is this going to be the guy that carries the mantle through which salvation would come to the world? I'm glad he didn't get it. Amen. It's just, it, and it's, it's like that Ed Cole saying, um, you know, talent will take you where char- character can't sustain you. You know, his character was were revealed. That's what really happened here. It was just so clear, you know, faced with a difficult situation. He's got the, the birthright and yet his character just gives it away. So he despises his birthright. Um, we saw back in verse 30 here, there's this little tag. It says, therefore, his name was called Edom. The reason that's significant is Edom is the Hebrew word um, connected to red. And so what, what's interesting about this is as time goes on, Esau and his nation, because that's, that's what was promised to Rebekah, there would be two nations that come out of you. The nation of Edom, the Edomites, they would be identified by Esau's sin, by his wrongdoing, by his his um, his disposition of the birthright, you know this Hebrew word for connected to red Edom. Um, when the Edomites said their name, they were talking about you know we're the red people. Well, what is that referencing? It's talking about that red bowl of stew that Esau gave up his birthright for. I mean that would just be like a dagger every time. Oh, we're the Edomites. Yeah, we're the people that gave it up for the soup. I mean, it, it sticks with them. And so, um, the Edom is a kingdom mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It's one, it's actually one that Israel comes into contention with when they're wandering the wilderness. They, they wanted to pass through and they weren't allowed to. Let me give you something um, for us today how this, this applies. Because, you know, we're talking about Esau's short-sightedness. We're talking about his lack of, of um, you know, care or value for the birthright, for the inheritance that was his. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4.4 tonight. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. What is this talking about? It's talking about people who are lost. It's talking about people who are blinded. It's talking about people who are deceived, who don't know Christ, who don't know the good news, who who have um, not seen the goodness of God. And this is what it's referencing in 2 Corinthians 4. You know, whose minds have been blinded by the God of this age. They don't believe. Or the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, would shine upon them. Blindness um, to the glory of God will keep people from seeing the light. How does this connect? We see with Esau here, he was blind. This is just a way to say it. He was blind to the long-term value that he was giving up by selling his birthright to Jacob. He, he was blind by short-sightedness. He was blind by the focus of this life, by the momentary pleasures he was experiencing of this life, wanting the bowl of stew today. I mean, that was short-sightedness. It was focus on the now instead of focus on what's to come. You know, today we see the same thing with people manifested in a different way. It's, it's care and consideration for what's happening right now, how I feel today, rather than what's to come. I mean, it's, it's when people are blinded and, and reject and refuse to hear the word, harden their hearts against the word of God. You know, um, rather than seeing the gospel, seeing the light and coming to know the inheritance or the promise that's for them. You know, more than even this birthright, we have a glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus, don't we? I mean, heaven, eternal life, I like the sound of that. That's a great inheritance that we have. But we don't get it if we don't call on the name of the Lord. We don't get it if we reject or despise the birthright like Esau despised the birthright. If we're blinded by the cares of this world like so many people are, we're not going to get the inheritance. You see the parallel for today. And I, I know, I believe at least that all of us in here, we have said yes to the inheritance that Christ has came to give us. But I'm sure we all know people who have said no or, or who have just refused to receive it yet. I think part of the the problem we see with Esau is he was like so confused, so blinded about the value of things. He looked at this birthright of like, oh, it's just something to come later. You know, it doesn't really matter. Do you know anybody who thinks like that today? Oh, 
you know, who cares about tomorrow? I just want to feel good today. Who cares about what happens after I die? I just want to live this life to the fullest. I mean, I've heard that stuff. It's, it's blind. It's so short-sighted. It's, it's like Esau. It's despising the inheritance that is available. And the good news is, you know, we don't do anything to work to earn the inheritance. We just say yes. We call on the name of the Lord, and we have eternal life. Amen? And so, the same way that Esau had been blinded, we know that the God of this world, the devil, he is hard at work to keep unbelievers blind to the glory of Christ, which is seen in the gospel. And that's why we got to preach the good news. Amen? Because I want people to know about what they're rejecting or about what they're despising if they don't say yes to that. If they don't receive that inheritance and you know, value that birthright that is now available to us, they're going to miss it. Let's read Hebrews 12, verse 15 through 17. Just another note about Esau. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And so we've talked about how Esau, he he considered so cheap this birthright. You know, so much that he traded it for this bowl of stew. I mean, that basically what he did is he said, what this birthright, what this inheritance means to me is a bowl of soup. This, this mantle, this, this promise that God's given to my father and my grandfather Abraham, all it means to me is one single meal. And I mean, if you'll trade it for that, then you must think that's all it's worth. And so he despises his birthright. He sees it so cheaply. You know, this is like the first step in fulfilling the word of God that the older would serve the younger because it wasn't the end of the story and it wasn't all over yet. But this was the first thing that happened. Esau willingly selling his birthright to Jacob was the first step in the older serving the younger because he's giving up the inheritance. He's giving up the leadership. He's giving up the responsibility of the family. He's giving up this promise. He's given all of that up willingly for a bowl of soup. And so Jacob... We said it earlier, he would come to act in accordance with the name given to him, choosing to gain advantage over his brother by exploiting character flaws and situational opportunity. He, you know, he's a supplanter, he's a deceiver, he's a manipulator, and and that's what we see him do here. And I'm, I'm just, I gotta be clear about it. God's plan, I don't believe, was for Jacob to manipulate Esau into doing something wrong. It was wrong of Esau to give it up so willingly. It was wrong of Esau to despise the birthright. But I don't think all the actions, and especially what what happens in next week's lesson where he goes in and takes the blessing too, it was wrong of Jacob to deceive his father. It was wrong of Jacob to um, you know, exploit his brother. I, I don't believe that those were the right things. And I believe that if he had just continued on trusting and having faith in God's word, it would have happened for him anyway. Because I'll tell you this, Esau didn't have the character to carry it out. And so it was going to come to Jacob. And it was God's word, so we knew it was going to come to happen. But it would have been better if Jacob had, had just continued trusting in God to make it happen for him. Just like how God brought Isaac a wife totally in, in faith, totally in trust. You know, that wasn't something that Isaac worked out on his own. It was something God did. And so we know that they have, this family has experienced in many times, in many ways, God working on their behalf. <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier. Even after considering the birthright to be so cheap, Esau never acknowledged his wrong or repented until, and, and we see it in verse 17 here, until he wanted the inheritance. It says it in verse 17, for you know that afterward, afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, that's off in the future. That wasn't like the next day. That was when it was time for the blessing, time for the inheritance to come out. That's when Esau realizes, oh no, I made a big mistake all those years ago when I got that bowl of soup because I gave up all of this. And it says afterward. That's important. Afterward. It wasn't during, it wasn't It wasn't right then, it was afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing. When he was ready for the inheritance, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. What that means is there's a day, inheritance day, where it's too late to change. It's too late to repent. It's too late to say, I want to change my mind. I want to choose something else. And you know, the parallel for us today 
is, is just like how Esau had a lack of eternal consideration. There's people today that have a lack of eternal consideration and there's going to come a day where they don't get to choose their, they don't get to change their mind anymore. They don't get to choose something else. I mean, there is a date that it's decided. Let's read another scripture here. Hebrews 9 verse 27. It says in Hebrews 9 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. What does that mean? And, and another scripture you could go to would be, I think it's Luke 16. Yeah, I think it's in your notes there. Luke 16 is another one you could go to and look at the, the two guys that had died. And, and, you know, the poor man, he was in Abraham's bosom. And then there's the guy who's in Hades and he's burning and he's saying, give me, his, give me a drink of water. I'm, I'm burning. And, you know, go and share with my family what, what this is all really about. And it was too late to change. He wanted to cross over. He's like, get me out of hell. I don't want to be here. Anymore. It was too late. Yeah. And you know why? Because the day of inheritance had come. Mm-hmm. Death had happened. Judgment. It was time for judgment. And once that happens, it's, it's over. You don't get the second chance. And, you know, this isn't something we, we preach on all the time because, you know, I think as a church who's received Christ as Lord and Savior, I don't think we need to be beat with the message every Sunday, repent and turn or you're going to hell. And, you know, I don't think that's something that builds believers all the time. I don't think it's encouraging, but it is something that the world needs to hear. There is a date that you're going to inherit what you have chosen. Just like Esau, there's going to be a date you can cry all you want. You can repent all you want now. It's too late. That's death. After you die, it's over. Because after it's appointed for men to die once. After this is the judgment. And I'm just telling us this tonight because there are people who don't realize they are making eternal decisions by choosing or refusing Christ. By despising the wonderful inheritance that Christ came to give us. They're making a choice of where I'm going to spend eternity. And there's going to come a day where they're going to want to change their mind. But just like Esau, it's going to be too late. And so I believe that, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened with Esau. If he would have repented and changed his heart and, and re- said, I was wrong. I acknowledge what I did was, was wrong. I mean, if that had been who he was, maybe the older wouldn't have been serving the younger. But that's not who he was, and God knew it. And so when he spoke that word, he, he knew what was going to happen. He didn't make Esau do anything. Esau, of his own decision, despised the blessing of God until it was time to inherit. And just like that, there's people today that are despising the blessing and the inheritance of Christ. But there's going to be a time where they're going to they're wish that they had chosen chosen the blessing, chosen the inheritance that he came to give us. So tonight, I just, I guess I want to end by encouraging you. We need, to, we need to share the good news with people. And we need to share about heaven and hell. And we need to share about eternity. And we need to share about the inheritance that Christ came to give us. Because everybody gets a choice. Everybody gets to choose what they're going to inherit. Esau, he got to choose what he inherited. And his choice, the promise of God, the, the you know, land and the cattle and all that business. I mean, he got that or a bowl of soup. And he chose the soup. And so, I mean, I, if I was going to tagline this message, I'd say, don't choose the soup. Don't choose the soup. And if you ever hear that, if I ever say that, that just means like, focus on eternity. Take the good inheritance. You know, because the things here, they're so temporary. They're so quick. Just like that bowl of soup. It's here and then it's gone and I'm walking on my way. I don't want to live that way. You know, I, I want to have an eternal focus. I want to have the patience and long temperance to be focused on eternity and eternal things. And I want to share that with everyone else. I want, I want to open people's eyes you know i want to be light so that people will have their eyes open to the goodness of god to the inheritance that's been brought by jesus to the option that they have to choose life amen amen Amen. let's let's just pray that as we go um, we would have opportunities to do that don't you want that opportunities to share with people that they get a choice of inheritance that's that's an empowering thing to know that there's a choice amen and so we can choose People can choose. Let's just pray and agree tonight that as we've seen in this word, we get a choice just like Esau did. And I believe we've made the right choice. And I I just pray tonight that uh, we would encourage other people to make that right choice. So, Father, I thank you tonight for your word that even talking about things that happened so long ago, we can see parallels for us today. Lord, we can see 
how we get a choice of what is going to be inherited, Lord. We, we see that there is an inheritance before us, an eternal life before us that we can say yes to. Lord, we, we value it so much. Unlike Esau, we don't want to look at the promise and the blessing and the inheritance before us cheaply or despise it um, and, and value it so low with earthly things that we would trade out that wonderful inheritance for something so meaningless and temporary. Lord, I thank you. That as we've heard this tonight, as we've studied your word in Genesis 25 tonight, I thank you that you've equipped us with tools, with truth to share with others. Lord, with people who you would bring across our path, Lord, let us be those laborers who go out and just preach the word to people. Share the hope that we have with people. Share about the choice of inheritance that we get to make. And how, Lord, there is a day that will come when it's going to be too late to change our mind, Lord. I thank you that even that truth, it, it, it just... It stirs us up to go out and share the good news and to share about the inheritance so that people will come to know you, that people who have been blinded by the enemy will have your light break through that blindness, Lord, and lead them to hope, lead them to truth, lead them to life which you have provided. God, I just pray tonight that you open opportunities for us to share the good news, to share with people that there's an inheritance they can choose and that we need to do it today, Lord, that we don't want to put it off and wait for tomorrow because there is a day coming where we don't get to change our mind. Lord, it is an urgent thing. It is something that we we want for today. We want for our people that we know. We want it today, Lord, for them to choose you. And so I pray for opportunities as we go and we're equipped with this truth that we can go and share the good news, that we can share the gospel, that we can share about the choice of inheritance of life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, glory, I believe we're going to have those opportunities. Don't you? Awesome. Well, hey, I want to make a couple quick announcements as you're heading out tonight. Um, sign up for our Easter breakfast. If you haven't done that yet, if you're watching, I don't know if we're still live, but if you're online and you're hearing this, go onto the website. You can sign up there. We've got a sheet on the table in the back. Sign up there for the Easter breakfast. I know it's going to be good. It's always good. And then uh, we have worship night this Friday. And so if you are available Friday night, just plan to come out and join us for worship in the church foyer. All right. Well, I just pray you're blessed and have opportunities to share this week. Amen.